Welcome to part two of the season recap. Uh, moving on to Luke Kennard. Began of the season, actually, with a lot of success uh, before ultimately seeing it undone after only 26 games. He was out with injury for the remainder of the time. He was apparently basically good to go when the season ended, but never got to see any more minutes. Uh, I think they were going to play him in like the next game. Uh, in the two months he played, he actually displayed a lot of improvement along the board, uh, just in terms of uh, not only his his, uh, his production, but also uh, his confidence. He was really, whereas he had passed up a lot of shots in the past, he was just shooting whenever he got the opportunity. Uh, he was scoring well on high efficiency, and his, his performance is actually better than those numbers would indicate, because Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey just throughout his time at the Pistons had a bizarre uh, tendency to forget about Kennard when Luke is on the court. And that happened a few times this season. So uh, he took on a, a greater role as an offensive creator, both for himself and others. Just the fact that he's such a good shooter uh, meant that guys had to cover him. That opened up uh, opportunities for others. So, uh, and he, he ranked pretty well, I think 80th percentile uh, among the NBA as a whole as, uh, as in pick and roll efficiency. He improved at creating a space for himself around the perimeter, uh, created looks for his teammates, doubled his frequency of assists over the previous season. He maintained a high percentage in the restricted area, though he's, you know, he still had trouble actually getting there. Uh, and, and settled for mid-range a bit more than he should have. And uh, yeah, his, his defense even got a little bit better. He'll never be a good defender, I think. Just poor wingspan, poor lateral mobility. Uh, but whatever the case, you know, we're not talking the profile of an all-star. This is just a guy who can be an effective scorer given the, uh, given the opportunity. <clears throat> and uh, they actually had come uh, shortly before the deadline. There were trade talks between the Suns and the Pistons uh, featuring Kennard. The Suns apparently saw him as, uh, as, a, as a high-volume, big-minute six-man, uh, you know, into whose hands you put the ball. That was actually how I always pictured him with the Pistons, uh, though that opportunity was, you know, pretty much erased when they signed Derek Rose, who, Really likes to really needs to have the ball, but uh, I, I think the greatest possibility of the Pistons' new course is that he is traded at the draft, maybe to the Suns. Uh, it, the deal fell through because the Suns are worried about protections. If they get like the tenth pick, that I think it absolutely makes sense for them to trade for Kennard because uh, you know they're they're really wanting to compete soon. Uh, he Kennard just doesn't fit the timeline of a rebuilding team, and he's also going to be in, in line for a new contract next year. Uh, you know, in, in the summer of twenty twenty one, and there's just I don't see any reason for the Pistons to give it to him unless they're suddenly very good, which would be weird. Also, concerns about his durability. Durability, excuse me. Yep. But if he's on the team, just continue to improve, getting to the baskets, uh, continue to be decisive, continue to work on. Uh, uh, just really, I don't think his ceiling is much higher than it is right now. Um, yeah, but so I'd give him yeah, uh, as key. Uh, just let me just get to the key stat here. Luca, one of only four players in the league. This is absolutely cherry picked. I had trouble with him. One of only four players in the league to average at least four assists and two and a half three pointers made per game while shooting forty percent of our the three point line. It was actually thirty nine point nine percent, but the stat still holds. I give him a grade of good. Actually, uh, I think he he was actually doing really well before he got injured. Yeah. Yeah, I see him more as a, as a good trade piece than a part of the future because one, the injury risk. I mean, we saw what this ten, what tendonitis did to Reggie Jackson. Even though Luke's game isn't super reliant on athleticism, he doesn't have he's not he's not much of an elite athlete by NBA standard standards already. So that combined with the fact that yup he's he's a little a little old uh, and he's a little too close to uh, signing what's probably going to be 
an eight figure contract uh, right at the start of a rebuild. I, I don't, I don't like the timeline there. Uh, I, I would definitely try to move him for an extra pick if we, if we can. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, there's not much else to say about him really. I mean, I, I'm, How would you grade him? It would have been nice. Huh? How would you grade him? Good. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's, he's a lower ceiling player. Like what he is right now is, is probably like 90% of what he's going to be. Maybe he gets a little better at shooting. Maybe he gains a little bit more passing chops, but that's about it. And I think that for a Pistons team who really need to go like all in on a rebuild, you, you don't want to make the decisions like, oh, we already have Luke. Nard. Unless he's like a six man, in which case he's a, he's a pretty good fit, but we already have like a guy like Derek Rose, who personally I think we should try to keep, but I'm sure we'll get to him. Yeah. Uh, I agree on Luke Ceiling. Uh, that was that was really one of the misgivings about the draft pick in the first place uh, on, the, on yeah. the part of a lot of people. But uh, that's that's a story that's been told many times. So uh, moving on down the list, and uh, we're getting up there in time right now. So I'll try to speed up. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll try to, I was going to say we'll try to speed this up, but that's more. Uh, I need to speed this up. Is uh, I'm, I'm definitely droning on at length. Hope it's entertaining, but I'm definitely uh, spending a lot of time in each player here. So next is Fima Kyluk, uh, who was really a surprise. He got his minutes thanks to uh, the injury to Kennard and to Brown's move to point guard. Actually played most of his minutes at small forward, uh, which is a team at which the, excuse me, position with the team was was very shallow, really. Only Tony Snell uh, was uh, was true small forward. And he made most of the minutes. Placed uh, second amongst qualifying teammates in three-point attempts per game and led the roster in three-point percentage. Uh, also a good transition scorer. Uh, that was about always good at uh, the season, but uh, you know, simply put, players who can convert threes on high volume will always be useful, particularly if they're guys who can uh, curl around the screen and uh, shoot on the fly. Speed is definitely able to do that. Now his downsides, uh, like I said, near total lack of utility anywhere else, and uh, terrible showing. Just uh, he's an awful defender. And uh, Dwayne Casey has come out and said that maybe you know he sees point guard minutes for Speed. I don't necessarily think that's the case, uh, but. You know, who knows, maybe. For right now, no, he was terrible with the ball in his hands. He was just awful from within the arc. Uh, terrible when he was asked to handle the ball. I mean, it was just a disaster from within the arc, and uh, he was given some run on the pick and roll, and he was awful. So, nonetheless, not a bad season. Uh, improvement for next season, you got to focus on scoring at the rim, uh, which will allow him to uh, really diversify his offense and uh, make use of his, his chops as a passer, which are there. Uh, since he has really short arms and really isn't very explosive, he'll just basically need to become craftier. He would just generally get stuffed this year. Uh, just got blocked constantly. Uh, thanks to those same qualities and bad defensive instincts, improvement of this defender is probably out of the question. Uh, so, you know, this stuff is tolerable, even if he doesn't improve at all. Uh, as long as he maintains high performance as a shooter, he'll be an asset to the Pistons. So, uh, his key stats, uh, there are only 45 guys in the NBA who attempted at least four catch-and-shoot threes per game. Of these, V ranked 10th three-point percentage at 42%. So he's an elite shooter, certainly. So I give him a great good. I mean, this is a guy who came over uh, in the Bullock trade uh, and in place of another second-rounder. The Lakers said you can either have him or you can have another second-rounder. This is Joe Svee. Uh, he's cheap. Uh, they'll probably keep him long-term, I think, uh, just as, as the kind of affordable role player you want who doesn't cost much against the cap but actually gives you production. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was something I should have mentioned in our last episode because for all the for all the the negatives I had for Stefanski, that was one of the better moves that he made. Uh, it was one of the more forward-thinking moves, and it's it's paying dividends. I mean, 
guys who can make these catch and shoot threes are the ones who don't need the ball in their hands. They're great people to have on the perimeter. They open up driving lanes, passing lanes. Uh, it's it's good to have a lot of guys like a guy like Sweet Mikai Luke who was just you plug him anywhere and he can give you production as a three point shooter. But he's a pretty one one dimensional player and you hit most you pretty hit pretty much everything else. Uh, it was a it's a good addition to the Pistons and uh, I hope we keep him. It was solidly good. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So moving on to uh, the aforementioned. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, Derek Rose is next in the alphabetical list. So uh, Derek Rose, first season with the Pistons, he really continued his redemption arc uh, as a solid NBA player uh, that, that he began last year at the Timberwolves because uh, we all remember, I mean, after uh, after those series of injuries, so that series of injuries rather with the Bulls, he went on to have two bad seasons with the Bulls, a mediocre season with the Knicks, and then basically a lost season after that in which he almost retired apparently or he was in quasi-retirement from the NBA. So did, did well with the Timberwolves last year, came in to do well with the Pistons. Definitely one of the only players uh, for the Pistons who is, is genuinely in the running. One of the only two players, the other one was Christian Wood. Is genuinely in the running for the team season MVP for whatever little that means, nonetheless. Uh, so he was more or less consistent at an insane start to the season. Uh, this slowed down from there because it was completely unsustainable. But, uh, you know, for the most part, he was steady. Uh, he was, he was you know, produced effectively from the field as the team's lead guard. And uh, one of the only players in the team, uh, along with Kennard, who could actually uh, effectively create offense. Uh, and its overall most valuable scorer, good in isolation uh, and on the pick and roll. Stayed healthy. And uh, he was one of the best bench players in the league. Worked hard. Defense wasn't so great, but it was tolerable. Uh, he did not shoot very well from the perimeter. And uh, it, it just meant that his off-ball utility was not particularly great. That always comes at a cost if you got guys who can't play off the ball. Uh, beyond that, though, it's, it's really difficult to, to fault him for anything. Uh, apparently, you know, management really likes him. Uh, they set uh, the cost of a lottery pick for him at the uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it shows how highly they valued him. It's like, you can either give us this or we're going to keep him because we're fine keeping him. Chief area of improvement for next season, three-point shooting. You want a guy to be able to, to, to feel comfortable. Uh, taking uh, those uh, off ball, excuse me, those catch and shoot threes, because then you can play off the ball, and you always want every every player on your. It's ideal if every player on the roster can play off the ball. Uh, his key stats uh, per 100 possessions. Uh, if you're looking at stats on a hundred per 100 possessions basis, which is fine for a player like Rose to play big minutes, uh, not so fine for a player like Boban. <laughs> um, uh, Rose was 30 months bench players in points and first in assists. So uh, I'd give. Derek Rose, a uh, score. I mean, honestly, it's going to be hard to give anybody in the Pistons uh, a score of great. I'd give him somewhere in between good and great uh, based on his salary and his role. I think he had a, he had a very good season. Yep. I, I mean, I'd give him the great just because he he, he played he, – he did kind of resurrect his career in Minnesota, but he continued to do so again here. And uh, for a team that had so little offense, he was just entertaining. I'm happy that the Pistons set a fairly high price on him and, and then that they held firm at the deadline. Uh, I like that our front office has kind of refused to be the kind who have been, you know, selling low for the sake of selling. Like, I know that there were, I, I'm not sure uh, what your thoughts were on this, but like there were a lot of people who were like, all right, we're tearing this down. We should trade Rose, just get the best value for him and move on. Uh, I'm happy they didn't. I think he has real value as a veteran, veteran leadership guy. Uh, or just a guy that like 
sells tickets, honestly, from a business perspective. I mean, Blake Griffin does that for almost four times the price, and Rose is still just one of the like favorites yeah. in the league. More than so, four I, times the price. A, yeah, I mean, for, for, <laughs> for yeah. it's, it is More still a business at the end of the day, and I'm happy that we have somebody who's just fun to watch. Uh, would you want to trade him? Um, at the deadline, maybe. I mean, I think, uh, I think I would have, I would have been fine trading him for like a first round pick in the low twenties or the, or the high teens. Uh, at this point, I think he's most likely to be moved to the deadline unless the Pistons are really a surprise team. Uh, because they're, they're really as much as uh, I think management really wants to have him around because he has a good presence and you do want those veterans. And apparently he was, you know, he had something of a leadership role on the team. I think, uh, when you get to like game, 55 and so you're probably not planning on keeping the guy you want to trade him for something yeah but, i mean uh, if, if they have if they have the if they're willing to extend him past this two-year thing and he wants to stay i would be perfectly fine with that i mean especially if we draft a guy like cole anthony who's kind of similar in play style and i think that he could really benefit from playing next to rose so and even no. if it's not cole anthony i just really like he I, I just really like the way he plays I'd like to keep him. And even though he eats like a lot of usage off the bench uh, and that's not great for a rebuilding team. Uh, if Casey was willing to lower his minutes, lower his touches. I know that's kind of another one of those save Casey from himself type situations, but I, I would keep him. I mean, you're right that he is exciting to watch too. And uh, especially I think for a Pistons fan, that's, I mean, it's, it's never something you want to necessarily it's not a it's not a factor how much you want to make your decisions, but uh, as a fan, it's kind of I find myself feeling like yeah, I, I really you know I'm fine watching through the rebuild, but it would be nice to have some excitement there. Um, we'll talk about that with Christian Wood as well. So yeah. uh, moving on to Tony Snell, uh, who <laughs> was who was ostensibly solid but actually bad. So his steadiness as three point shooter really belied how poorly he played. Uh, he he was not good for the Pistons. I uh, completed the season at better than 40% from the perimeter on, on a good number of attempts, but he really persistently fell victim to the same utterly bizarre propensity for complete disappearance on offense that it really characterizes 10 years in Milwaukee and uh, Chicago as well. Like despite the fact that he was a good three point shooter, he was so prone to falling off the offensive map that the Pistons actually became worse at scoring when he was on the floor. Uh, like st- just looking at pure statistics outside of Thon maker, uh, the uh, whom we just forgot to go over. Apparently, we'll get to him. I missed <laughs> him on the list. Uh, did did uh, did write an uh, analysis on him, but uh, uh, no player who began or ended the season with the Pistons made the Pistons worse on offense than Snell. And uh, you know, conversely, with the exception of Maker, uh, no player benefited the offense more from his absence than Snell. Uh, also, throughout a two month span, beginning at the outset of December, no player made the Pistons worse altogether than Snell. Uh, not a problem at that stage because you're not winning games anyway. Uh, the, the Pistons were kind of in sort of purgatory between are we going to try to win or are we going to try to you know just rebuild here and play for the draft. But whatever the case, uh, you know if he's not scoring well, then well his defense within the arc is was, was absolutely terrible. So he wasn't good for the Pistons. Uh, he'll almost certainly be back next season. His player option represents way more money than he'll ever he's ever likely to see on the uh, on the open market again, and also the the free agent market is going to be probably pretty hostile, given the lower what's all all but certain to be a lower cap. So he'll probably he'll, you know that means he'll he'll be ninety nine point nine nine percent sure activating his player option, 
uh, you know, a, a possible route for improvement as being more assertive on offense or something. But he's 28. The guy almost certainly is what he is. I'd say it was still worthwhile trade, but the, you know, even the front office did botch the return of the 30th overall pick. But uh, you know, you you can. I don't think Casey will. But if you got a better guy you want to develop there, you can easily just give Snell small minutes off the bench. So, uh, key stat for him uh, of the 138 players who started in at least half of their respective teams' games, Snell ranked 128th in points per 100 possession. Points per hundred possessions. Excuse me. The guy just disappeared. Uh, so I'd give him bad on the season. Not bad enough to be terrible, but certainly bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost can't even give him a grade because I, like you said, he disappeared so often. And when you when you told me that you wanted to make this episode, I genuinely forgot he was on this team. Like I didn't think about him <laughs> uh, for the longest time. Uh, the other. Kind of key, kind of key stat is that he didn't miss a free throw this season. I think he might have broken the record uh, for most free throws in a season without missing one, uh, which is, or he sort of did because the season was cut short and other teams are playing more games. But whichever way, I mean, he he was just so he was just completely invisible on offense. Sometimes you'd forget he was on the floor, so. It's it's fine that he's coming back, and it's so strange because, uh, like the the more research that I do, or like I, the more I try to look into like what uh, a good wing player should have, like being able to shoot reliably from the three point line is so important, and yet it doesn't he doesn't impact games. So I don't know, not not good, I guess. <laughs> he's just such a strange player. Yeah. Uh, another guy who was just uh, was severely overpaid by, I believe, Jason Kidd. Uh, yeah, it's like you said. You think that a guy who can shoot a very high percentage from three is automatically going to be useful, but he was not. As far as his free throws, yeah. <laughs> Didn't miss any, but he attempted 32 in more than 600 to 1,600 minutes, uh, <laughs> which meant that if you were to play him all 48 minutes of a game, he would average about one free throw attempt. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a stat, but it's one of those kind of loaded stats that's uh, yeah. whatever the case. I, I think mostly just people used it for fun because, yeah, Snell just wasn't yeah. just wasn't good. It's just funny. Yeah. So moving on to Thonmaker, team's preeminent whipping boy amongst the fans. He got a, a lot of criticism and pretty much deserved all of it. Uh, put it simply, he did nothing well and a lot of things badly. Uh, he basically had the backup uh, center position Tied down by default because at the beginning of the season, because Casey gave it to him, uh, played some minutes of power forward as well early in the season, and uh, ultimately to the relief of the fans, uh, well, <laughs> let's put it this way: uh, the upside ultimately was that he played badly enough to get out of the rotation. The downside is that we had to watch him uh, for that amount of time, uh, just bumble around the <laughs> court because he was awful. He. Uh, he improved over the course of the season, but never to an extent that actually made him a worthwhile presence. He got minutes because the Pistons were where they were. Uh, he sometimes, somehow maintained good efficiency, but on, on just extremely low volume. He was pretty much useless on offense. On the other end, he struggled to defend the, the guys at center who were almost invariably uh, on the opposite side, big enough to bully him on the paint, in the paint. It's not really much better on the perimeter. And uh, he had been a, a decent rim protector. He Prior to this season, he devolved into a disaster. Uh, Kevin Garnett, once, who trained him in the, in the offseason once, 
uh, name Thon future MVP material, but uh, you know nobody's perfect. So <laughs> Thon isn't under contract next season. Uh, he, he's a restricted free agent by all accounts and, and any degree of logic. That they won't be giving him the qualifying offer uh, because I mean he's been named an extremely hard worker. His teammates love him. Maybe they'll try to bring him back in a minimum contract to be the third string center. Uh, I think that's the only uh, the only real situation I see uh, in which he returns. Uh, if he does return, his areas developments, uh, everything. You know, <laughs> if you want to be a good center, you got to defend the rim well. You got to bulk up so you can actually defend guys in the paint. And uh, you have to not suck on offense. He's useless as a role man. He's half decent as a perimeter shooter, but his form is garbage. Uh, and makes him completely unreliable, uh, and he's he's not a good paint scorer. The guy's like the worst kind of tweener. You know, he's he's uh, as far as his position, he's not bulky enough to play center, uh, to score in the paint, or to defend the paint as a center. Uh, he's not good enough uh, as a perimeter shooter or a perimeter defender to play as power forward. So, yeah, uh, his key stat: he was so absolutely absent from any meaningful. Uh, role or contribution in the offense that uh, like I did a lot of research from this from uh, from play tracking data which the NBA makes publicly available Maker was so absent that he didn't actually qualify for inclusion in any of it <laughs> so and he was the only you know his, his volume was uh, was way too low to, to be included in any of it despite being a consistent member of the rotation he was the only consistent member of Detroit's rotation uh, to fit uh, uh, to fit this description um, you know, to, to earn this extremely dubious distinction. Uh, so I'm going to give him the not so coveted grade of terrible. Uh, I think Thon was very bad. I still don't regret that the Pistons traded, uh, traded Stanley Johnson for him, obviously, because Stanley Johnson was awful too. He was even worse than Thon this year somehow, but at the beginning of the season, it's like, why don't we just trade Stanley for an expiring deal? You know, once you got further into the season, the Pistons weren't, weren't winning. It's like, okay, well, whatever. He's here. Who cares anymore? All right. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there's just not much more to add to that. I don't know if it, it was, I don't know if he was actually one of Casey's favorites or it just felt like that because every minute he was out there felt like he was out there too long, but he, he just, he needs to find a role. I think what he really needs to do is just focus on being a decent three point shooter. He's just, I don't think he's going to bulk up enough to be a passable center. He's, he's not mobile enough. Uh, really to be a good power forward, but he's certainly not good enough to be a modern center. And he, his his release is high enough that I think it would be very hard to contest his shot. So I think if he could just reliably knock down threes, that's his, that's his best chance at staying in the league. That's all I could say about him. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if you're on a rebuilding team, if you bring him back as a third string center and he's a real good locker room presence, then fine. Uh, I think if he can be decent at, uh, at, at protecting the rim and, and he can hit his threes reliably, reliably, excuse me, then he might have sort of a, some odd role to occupy. Um, because you know, he's, you know, the guy is somewhat quick for a seven footer and has a long wingspan. Um, you know, even though, uh, I think, um, somebody once described him as a guy is like a guy who's playing a fighting game, like, uh, you know, on, uh, on like a fighting video game, but uh, hasn't worn the controls yet. <laughs> His level of coordination. <laughs> I think uh, that was on Instagram. And, and if I remember correctly, Blake Griffin liked the comments. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, that's if, my, that's my problem with him. 
he's he's too he's for such a lanky guy like usually these skinnier guys are are, are more mobile or more agile he's not he's, he's such a it's so strange like usually there's these guys the guys who are his size and his weight they can shift their weight a little bit better but he can't that's why i, I feel like if he was just a, a spot of three-point shooter i know he had some nice blocks because he's got crazy length but i just don't I don't know if he's even worth it as a third stringer when you can bring in a lot of these like hyper athletic guys who can just rim run and catch lobs. I mean, maybe you find another gem, but yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to see him uh, get the position over somebody with more potential. Here's the other thing about maker. I mean, there was all this hoopla and controversy about his actual age around the draft. Uh, He might be 22. He also could be 26. And that means there's a whole lot less space for development. Most likely. I mean, of course, guys do reinvent their careers at that point. But, you know, a guy who's 22, you kind of got to have maybe more hopes. Uh, All right. So moving on to the final guy on the list. Last but certainly not least is Christian Wood, who came into the season. The Pistons claimed him off waivers uh, from the New Orleans Pelicans. So he entered the season on a non-guaranteed contract. He beat out Joe Johnson for the final roster spot and turned out to be the story of the season. Uh, he gradually got more minutes, uh, especially as he won over. Uh, he won Thon's minutes by, by playing well when Thon was terrible, and uh, played the majority. I think ultimately of his minutes at center, he played some minutes at power forward next to Drummond. Uh, whatever the case, uh, he was along with Rose. Was uh, he's the only guy who compete with Rose's potential season MVP for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, really just a revelation on offense. Uh, really just the guy really had it at almost uh, almost everything, like not a superstar level, but at really almost everything you could ask for from uh, from a modern NBA center. So he uh, – <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> um, I got allergies over here. So he was a highly effective offensive player in pretty much every facet. Uh, he was one of the league's most accurate scorers in the restricted area, I think 70-something percent. Uh, he was actually amongst qualifying players, was the most efficient role man in the league. Uh, he was one of the most efficient on putbacks amongst qualifying centers. He also trailed only Carl Anthony Towns in efficiency and spot-up shooting. So in all, he really performed excellently in all forms of offense relevant to his position, except for spot-ups. And spot-ups are useful, but they're not really a necessary skill anymore. Defensively speaking, he was competent enough as a rim protector and able, though somewhat mediocre, as a general defender, he can defend out in the perimeter. Uh, just his footwork isn't the greatest. In any event, though, he worked hard and he played his role. Uh, he was also the literally one and only Piston, uh, aside from, you know, if we're not including guys who saw very few minutes, uh, or even then, uh, whatever the case. He was the only Piston who began and ended the season with the team, who with whom the, the team was actually better than the opposition. Uh, he finished the season with a net rating. Everybody else was negative. So, you know, I don't want to sound as if I'm anointing him the next big thing. Sample size remains small. His tenure as a starter was only 12 games. Pistons lost 11 of those. Really remains to be seen how he'll perform across a more significant stretch and also on a roster that uh, is not bound to lose every game. You never know if somebody is just a good stats and a bad team kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think that's likely. Uh Nonetheless, whatever the case, uh, the potential for a very solidly effective offensive presence is, is definitely there. Now, his future with Detroit is actually going to be a big decision for the front office. Assuming Wood wants to stay, he's been kind of vocal on Twitter about wanting to win. I, I'm actually not 100% sold in his attitude. I don't. I couldn't really tell how much his, uh, his teammates liked him, but that's entirely speculation. So I'm not even really, there's no real call to even talk further about that. 
So there are a couple aspects here. Assuming that Wood wants to stay on a team that may not be doing really much winning soon, uh, the front office needs to decide two things. Number one, how much money are you willing to offer to a guy who has a, a very limited pedigree, very limited sample size? Uh, number two, if you're not pointing at competing next season, do you really want to sign a guy who might actually end up being pretty good? That's actually, uh, you know, it, it sounds like a strange decision to make, but you actually have to think about that. You want to risk being uh, back in the teens in, in the draft. Uh, and ostent, you know, on, on the surface, you say, absolutely, the guy's going to be good. You know, you want to keep him. Uh, and also, he's exciting to watch. That's absolutely like replacing Drummond with him was a lot of fun for a guy who's actually competent offensively and plays his role. So Weaver's notice preference for a series of one-year rebuilds, really hard to know what that means because nobody comes into his introductory press conference and says, I promise we're going to field a bad roster <laughs> and not try to win. Uh, as far as improvements, he's with the team next season. Find a way to generate offense for yourself. Basically, uh, whether off the driver in the post, he's still very dependent on others to do it for him. Uh, if you can uh, even make yourself like a, a threat in the post to the point where guys have to come and double you or something, and then you can pass the ball out and he's no slouch as a passer. Uh, he's, he's good right now, but a center who can create for himself is going to draw more attention and, and open the offense further. Though just having five guys in the floor who could shoot was so great to watch. So yeah. key stats, uh, finish the season with a plus 10.4 on-off differential, uh, which, is, which is pretty darn good. Pistons were drastically worse without him on the floor. As far as stats... Uh, for play tracking, one and a half points per possession on the pick and roll and uh, 1.34 points per possession on putbacks. Drummond, who always made the least of his offensive rebounds, uh, was 1.05 this season points per possession. So tremendous difference uh, on, on putbacks. So I'd give him, I'd, I'd have to call the guy, you know, to give him the uh, a great on the season. Uh, he came in out of nowhere and, and really just ended up being arguably the best player on the team. Yep, I haven't liked a player this much since like since Tobias Harris, honestly. Uh, as and to, to one of your points, uh, for generating offense, what he what he was able to do because really like the past three months, I've probably watched his highlights against the Sixers probably upwards of ten times because it's just it was so much fun. And what he would do uh, against these bigger, slower guys was he would kind of back them back up and kind of size them up and try to pull them out away from the rim. And then I think it's called a negative step. He would, he would like, he would take long strides to the rim and these bigs had to, they had to follow him out because he was shooting just under 39% from three. And it didn't matter if it was like a more mobile big, like Nerlens Noel or uh, like the biggest guys like Embiid and Horford, he was able to use his, his speed to kind of knock into them and get them off balance. And they were just trying to keep up with him. And so he had that threat where he could either shoot the three ball or he could go inside and go up hard. And this is something that this is just like a preference. It's not, it's not rooted in stats at all, but I I appreciated the fact that every time he got to the rim, he dunked it as hard as he could. And that isn't something that Drummond did not do. Drummond, a lot of times he would, he would like jump late and just try to do like these hooks and it would always not, not hooks, but like scoop layups and they would drive me crazy because uh, sometimes they didn't go in. But no, Christian, he would take these long strides and jam it. And I appreciated that. And as far as um, do you bring him back uh, because you don't want to win, I feel like it's it's not going to be that big of a deal because most of the other teams are trying – are they are trying to lose – or trying to win, rather. Uh, and having one good player out there and Christian Wood maybe uh, another – 
two or three good ones in Derrick Rose, maybe Luke Kennard. I don't think we're going to win a significant number of games. I think next season we'll pretty easily be in the top three worst teams. And uh, giving up Christian Wood, I don't think that's in Troy Weaver's plans. What he said was you do one-year rebuilds, uh, and he's not interested in tanking. And depending on your definition of tanking, uh, I, I think the Sixers' way of you know, fielding one of the worst rosters possible is one definition of tanking. And when I say I think the Pistons should tank, I just mean don't try to win. But I also don't mean uh, don't bring back good talent. I mean, this is an opportunity for the Pistons to not just look for good talent in the draft, but maybe sign up more guys like Christian Wood who are, uh, who are coming off the waiver wire or, or guys who are in the G league. Uh, like Robert Covington was on our G league team and the Sixers found him there. Uh, so this is another opportunity for the Pistons to find more guys like him. So I, I would certainly say that I would, I would probably be fine committing upwards of even 15 million to Christian Wood, just because the Pistons don't need all their cap space. They're probably looking at a four year, rebuild and I would be really uh sad to lose him I I know I talk so much about uh you know these it's it's very easy uh to see these players in a more positive light uh because you like them and I I've probably even said that that's not how you should evaluate talent I don't know if that's what I'm doing here uh but the more I watch his highlights the more I notice like little things like the way he was able to st- like step around guys on the perimeter to drive inside. I just really like his game. And I think the Pistons might've even stumbled on like the formula for the next generation of NBA centers here. Uh, he's still pretty light. Maybe he puts on a little bit more weight, uh, but he still needs to keep his mobility. But Christian Wood, I think he, he could be like a, a long-term future piece for the Pistons, especially if he can uh, maintain his energy and, he would obviously need to at least shoot like 32, 33%. Uh, he, he doesn't have to shoot 40% forever, but it'd be great if he did. But he just needs to be a uh, scoring threat because part of his game was just pulling guys out with the threat of scoring from distance and then taking those long strides in and jamming it on whoever was in front of him. So I would definitely be in favor of keeping Christian Wood. So keeping him should be like one of the top priorities in my mind. Yeah. I, I so I take it you're you're gonna give him the uh, the great grade. Uh, I I would uh, give him a fantastic even. He was yeah. that good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I agree. You kind of just have to keep him, uh, even if not only because he he could be very good for for the fans also. Um, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he got uh, amongst what few fans are watching became very popular. But he's also he's a sort of exciting player that you just really want to uh, you know is fun to watch. Uh, you mentioned his dunks absolutely. Guy went hard to the rim. Uh, he's just very adept at dunking on people too, even even when he carried the ball himself. Uh, he's uh, I, I I tried to analyze his biomechanics a bit. The guy is he's both springy in the legs, and he seems to seems to have just an uh, in a fantastically strong core. Uh, just because his ability to bring down is he's not the biggest guy, he's not the the strongest guy, but his ability to just bring down his uh, his upper body onto the rim is is really just something else. As far as catch and shoots, he had forty percent this year. On uh, on just under two attempts per game, and uh, yeah, when he's at the when he's at the perimeter, 
Uh, you're right. He does have a way of just when he's when he's up against a slower center, just pump faking. Uh, and if they bite, then he's past you, and that's that. Uh, I've seen people question: Is he power forward? Is he a center? I think he's undoubtedly a center. I think he's wasted a power yeah. forward. He's the best if you use him uh, as much as you can on every play, including the pick and roll, which is still a very, uh, very central play type in the NBA. And you know, if you put him a power forward, you're you're taking him out of the play. And kind of wasting him. There's also the fact that his ass, it's kind of like uh, Tobias Harris's power forward. You know, he's smaller than the average. Well, honestly, these days, he's not really smaller than the average power forward. But it used to be that uh, he was more of a small forward who would play a power forward because he could. Uh, he was just so much quicker and he was a very good matchup against guys who were slower than he was. That's what Christian Wood is at center now. Uh, you mentioned watching the highlights against the 76ers. I remember a play in which he was being guarded by Horford. He pump faked. Uh, Horford bit. Kind of half. Horford's a good defender. He half bit. And, uh, and Christian Wood was just passed him with one step and Horford just yep. didn't even try. He stopped and didn't, would dunked it. And if he gets on his way to the basket, uh, full tilt, he's almost certainly going to dunk it or draw a foul. So I know you wanted to talk a bit about the contrast between he and Drummond, which I think was, was, was very, very, very marked contrast. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that, uh, I've been looking in more into uh, what the what the next generation of big men will be, and I think that it, it's going to be more players like Christian Wood who are mobile and can kind of keep up with the much faster pace of the modern NBA. Uh, and that's something uh, we can talk more about in like a future episode, even. But I, I, it's people kind of underestimate how much better Christian Wood is for his teammates compared to. Uh, Andre Drummond, which we we did talk about a little bit, but uh, like one of the things that we mentioned, we talked about earlier was uh, these rankings that uh, another site did. How they already put Christian Wood above Drummond on the center list, and I get it. I think Drummond probably has far more individual potential, uh, just in a vacuum, but. Christian Wood, he opens up, he opens up the lane. Uh, he's faster up and down the court. And another thing is, you look at the highlights where Drummond is on the floor, and the highlights where Christian is on the floor, and the team's transition offense is totally different. When Drummond would get the ball, or when he would get the uh, the defensive rebound, he would take it and he would hold it for an extra couple seconds, and then he would give it up. When Christian got it, or uh, don't, when somebody don't else got the, it, don't, don't forget the full court passes that always got picked off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, there there were just so many plays like that where where Drummond was just de- detrimental to the team without even seeming to realize it, just because of his natural play style. And I think Christian Wood's play style is just so much better for the modern NBA. So, I I do think Christian Wood plays. I think he, he contributes to winning basketball more than Drummond does. And in that sense, I think he is the better player. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was just such a relief to me personally to see Drummond off the team, to not have to watch him. But there was the additional joy of watching a mechanically sound modern offense with five shooters. I mean, it just yeah. I mean, the Pistons still had a bad offense, but <laughs> just based on the personnel on the floor. But uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, relatively speaking, but it just it opens up so many more options for spacing. For, for fast-paced play, uh, it's just it's just a joy to watch. The Pistons have never really had it. The last real stretch five the Pistons have is Bill Lambeer. <laughs> I mean, yep. 
the, the last stretch five they had, I think, on the roster at all was certainly in the starting lineup because Bill Lambert was actually ahead of his time. Uh, he could shoot threes. And uh, so, yeah, Wood is just uh, – he's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, he really transitions from Drummond, who was just all about himself and, and, and a bad offensive player who, who styled himself this great offensive player and who to really, like you said, slowed the pace and is completely just outdated. And I think before, before anybody wants to start naming Wood uh, a very good center, you got to have more sample size because uh, yeah. though it sucks to say you just, you just never know. But uh, I, I think he's on his way. And just this, the contrast was just so significant. This is just so significant. This is a lot of fun to watch, and he really just, like you said, he just, just he does give you a lot more options and a lot more opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, certainly by a long margin become our longest episode ever. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that'll be it for for this episode. Uh, next episode will be the start of our draft series. We're actually going to be doing that before the draft lottery. It just gives honestly gives us more to talk about as part of it, and uh, also, I'd say that's just mostly it. But to be perfectly honest, there's not really much to talk about with respect to the Pistons right now. There will be more, I suppose, when uh, uh, when if the second bubble transpires, that'll be fun. Uh, but right now, you know, we just got a new GM, but it's going to be about four months before we see him to get to do anything. Or three months now, actually. So next time, I believe we will be discussing the bigs who are available in the upcoming draft. Yep. So, so some of the guys we might be looking at, yeah, are yeah. Onyeka Kongwu, James Wiseman, uh, Obi Toppin. And the other thing I want to do in that episode is kind of look at at, at Christian Wood even further because uh, depending on whether he's back, he could be like he's like the benchmark guy, and uh, he, he'll he'll be. He'll be, I, there's so much more to his game that I would like to discuss. And I think in the context of these like up and coming centers, uh, that could be a fun topic. So looking yeah, forward to the, that. The name, the name, the name I keep forgetting to bring up is Jaron Jackson. He's the other guy. Uh, another guy I really sees is the, is the archetype in the modern center. Somebody who can, yep. who can both create offense. who can all do all of, excuse me, create offense, stretch the floor and protect the rim, which Wood isn't great at yet, but. Uh, I also think, yeah, if we're talking about centers, uh, what the, but I don't think the Pistons will ultimately take one, hard to say, though I think their decision uh, in the draft will certainly be informed by their level of confidence uh, as to whether or not they can bring him back, because I, I, think, I think you're right that it's a very safe bet that they will try. So yeah. in any event, uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time.